Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. In 2001, I was invited to a Church of Christ for the very first time. Having never gone to a Church of Christ before, let's just say that it was a uh, very unique experience, to say the least, for me. Very unique experience. I wasn't a believer then. I had knowledge, but I had no faith. I had knowledge but no faith, and my, my actions in my life reflected those facts, that I knew some truth, but I simply had no pursuit of Jesus in my mind or in my heart. Going to this church over the next couple of months, 100 single young people surrounded me. They invited me in. They listened to me, and they brought me into their midst. That, too, was a very unique experience for me. Within those first couple of months, I found myself being drawn into that community. Uh, But more importantly, and as a total surprise to myself, I was drawn deeper and deeper into a relationship with Jesus. I found myself in their their place where, where God and family combined together in a community And it was a surprise to me because, you see, my family, my my biological family, my dad, my mom, my brother, and my sister, they too were not believers. I was raised in a morally good home, but Jesus was nowhere in our lives in terms of us pursuing him. As a matter of fact, the name Jesus was one I rarely ever heard growing up. And so a funny thing started to happen to me. Being surrounded by this church community, I discovered that this church family had given me a place to belong through Jesus, a place to belong with no judgment, no expectation that I had to change myself before they would welcome me in, no need to fix myself, and they suddenly, I realized that they were becoming more of my family than even my biological family. It's part of why I do what I do now here at Monterey, because you are my family, We are bound together by something much greater than biology. We are bound together by the blood of Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit that permeates every single one of us. What we do here matters. It has power. For today, we're going to take a look at a story of another family. Because even though this is a place that I belong, not everybody feels the same way. As believers, we don't always show that side of ourselves. And so today we're going to look at another family, a family made up of a father and two sons. It's the story of the lost son, one that more than likely most of you have heard a thousand times from sermons. But I hope this morning as we walk through this and we break this down, you hear a little bit of a turn, a little bit of a tweak that changes how we view what God is calling us to do. So let's take a look at that story. Turn your Bibles to Luke 15. We're going to start in verse 11 going through 24. Luke 15, it's going to be on the screen starting in verse 11. Jesus is talking. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my, uh, give me my share of the estate. So the father, he divided the property between them. 
Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered all his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? Well, I set out and go back to my father, and I'll go to him, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandal on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now normally when we hear this parable, the theological significance, the the importance is normally placed upon the father, the father representing God, representing Jesus. The grace and mercy the Father shows is meant to depict the same grace, love, and mercy that God, through Jesus, shows all of his children. God's attitude is actually seen in this longing Father who longs to embrace the departing Son, to keep him as a member of the family without him leaving, though he will not force him to stay home. When the Son asks to go, he lets him walk out the door and go his own direction. Now the lost son, the lost son is us. The sinful people that God runs out to greet has been pursuing all along, no matter what we've done, no matter how we've turned from him. And then we get that returning scene. We get that returning scene that from far off, the father sees his son coming. And what he does next is a cultural surprise. It is something that in that culture would have blown the people away who were reading it. The father does what no self-respecting Jewish father of a household would do in this culture. First, they don't run. He wouldn't run. It would have been ridiculous for him to run to his son. Men of a certain age who are distinguished men, a Jewish family man, would not have run to do so. He would have had to have lifted up his robes, bearing his legs to take off running after his, after his son so he wouldn't trip. He would look ridiculous and undignified. Second, normally a father would not go to his son. He would wait for his son to present himself to the father. He would wait to be addressed by the son. He would wait to receive some indication of respect, a sign of respect. In this case, he would wait for some kind of sign, some semblance of remorse for what he had done before he would ever speak with him, much less acknowledge him as his son again. 
for this father to run to him, to drape his arms around his neck and to shower him with kisses and bring him back home would have been viewed as shameful. Third, and this is one that we often miss and don't think about the significance of what's happening in this story. To welcome his son back into the family as if nothing happened would put him, would put the father and his whole family at odds with the community, with the town, the people of believers that they lived within. They're, they would say there are rules, there are laws, there are lines we do not cross. What are you doing here? Have you not thought about the kind of influence he's going to have on your family coming back into that? You don't know what he's going to do. Has he changed his behavior? He's unclean. As a matter of fact, he's unclean to the point where he would rather feed pigs. Pigs. See, to a Jew, feeding pigs would have been shameful and would have been a disgrace. Pigs were unclean animals. It was against God's law to eat pork, to eat from a swine. Even touching meat from a pig would make somebody ritually unclean. To feed them was a disgrace. To want their food and to long for their food, even more of a disgrace. He didn't just shun the father's family. He didn't just shun his father. He turned his back on the community of faith that had surrounded him. Why would you let him back in, they would say. He needs to prove that he has changed. His behavior has to show that he is different than he was. He has to show that he can be trusted. But that is not what the father does. God's compassion being displayed in the father here is exceptional. The father's so full of joy. Without knowing why the son's coming back, he drapes himself around the son's neck, gives him hugs, clothes him in the best robes, puts sandals on his bare feet, puts a ring on his finger, a ring that would symbolize you belong here. You're a part of this family. The father's response is rooted in an unconditional welcome and unconditional love. He's willing to put himself at risk of how other people may view him, even shun him for the way that he treats his son. He does not consider those things. His forgiveness is total and his forgiveness is immediate. There are no grudges. There is no judgment. And that, I believe, is a fully accurate interpretation of the scene. But I don't believe it's the only way we can look at this scene. I think there's more to this that Jesus is driving towards as he starts to teach in, in chapter 14 leading into chapter 15 here. If you go back to 14, you're going to find a story of Jesus at a Pharisee's house and he uses three different examples to show them compassion and belonging. The Pharisees often looked at themselves as better than, and they both uh, literally and metaphorically left no room at the table for those that they viewed as lesser than. Jesus began talking about inviting those who normally are viewed as not belonging, that we are called them, that we're supposed to call them into the feast first before we call in those that we're in community with. That means that those that we think or we look at and see that don't belong, those are the people we bring in not necessarily the people that we already have community with. It's those who feel like they have nowhere to belong that we are to invite into our midst. And it's really easy for us to miss those people. It's really easy for us to, to look past those people and not see them. Why? 
Well, as Aaron Dawson said a couple weeks ago, we don't feel the urgency of belonging when we already have a seat at the table. In other words, we're often more concerned with keeping our seat than trying to welcome someone else into the feast. Luke 14 ends with Jesus talking about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be his follower, what, it, what the cost is of being a disciple of Christ. Not just having a knowledge of who Jesus is, not just having a faith in Jesus, but action, movement that is driven by our knowledge, that is driven by our faith. Not just following him, but what the cost is of giving up and responding to him. This whole discourse is not about us having understand more about what God has done for us. It is about, in light of what God has done for us, how are we to respond? How should we engage those around us like Jesus engaged, like Jesus engaged us, and especially those who feel like they have no place to belong? So if Jesus is leading up to chapter 15, speaking about us and discipleship, how we are to be like him, how we are to reach out like him, inviting the lonely and the outcast into our midst, then that may cast a little bit different light on how we should also view another interpretation of Luke 15. If being a disciple of Jesus is being like him, perhaps we should also read the story with the eyes of, in light of what God has done for me, if I am that father, how should I reply and respond to any child of God, no matter who they are or what they've done? How am I to respond to that? So let's go back to the story. The younger son does whatever he wants. He, he rejects his family. He rejects his father. He rejects the community of God. He rejects God himself and his laws that he's put down. But I want you to see this one small part in the story, this one small little piece in the story that I think, I believe, gives us a glimpse into how God sees this younger son. That we are also being called to look at in other people as we come across them in our everyday lives. To look past the sin, to look past the hurt, to look past our fear. Because this is the key in the text for the younger son. Starting in verse 16. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. And this is it right here, this one little statement. But no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. He belonged nowhere. He had in his life no one. He was empty and desperate, both literally and spiritually. And God is looking past all these things that we often find ourselves getting caught up on. Their sinfulness, their baggage, as if we don't have and carry sinfulness and baggage in our own lives. And yet we get caught up in other people's sinfulness and baggage, as if that should stop us in some way. The father in the story has no idea why the son's coming back. That's an important distinction here. The father sees him while he's far off, is able to recognize his son, and his response is not to pause and to stop and to wonder, why is he coming back? He doesn't consider, is he going to change? Is he going to be better? Is, does he doesn't know if he's coming back for more money. 
The younger son, in this case, would get about a third of the father's estate. Is the son coming back to say, you didn't give me enough, I'm owed more? Is his behavior going to change? He has no idea why the son is coming back. He doesn't carry a fear about the influence the the son may have upon his family. He doesn't stop to think about what the implications may be going past this. Not that those things don't matter, but that's not how it starts. The father runs to his son. He picks up his robes, bears his legs, makes a fool of himself, and runs to his son, drapes his arms around his neck, showers him with kisses. He does not give a thought to how others are going to think of him or how he may be treated or how he may be putting at risk his reputation, his family, and the community that they're surrounded by. He is simply looking at, this is my son, this is a child of God, and this is the place he's supposed to have always belonged. Are we, as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, are we called to do any less? Or are we more like the older son? See, there's the other part of the story we haven't gotten to yet. We, We have the father over here, the father who has every single right to judge his son, every single right to condemn his son, every single right to shun him, to turn him away, and yet responds to him without knowing what's gonna happen next. His first response is to run to him, to give him unconditional welcome, unconditional love, or sometimes do we get caught up in like we are being the older son, who looks something like this. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out with him and pleaded with him. But, his answer, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father says, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And I'll even add, for my own purposes, he had no place to belong. And we get to, not have to, we get to provide him a home again. I want you to notice also the wording of this. When the older son is angry and he's saying this to his father, he says, this son of yours. But the father says to his son, this brother of yours. Son, stop worrying about what you may lose. Stop worrying about how much you may have given. Stop worrying so much about your seat at the table that you're not willing to make room for someone at the feast. And notice that Jesus leaves the story unfinished. 
He doesn't finish the story. He doesn't tell us what the older son does. He doesn't tell us if the son goes in and embraces his younger brother. He doesn't tell us if the older son shuns him and for the rest of their lives, there's this rift between them, no reconciliation that takes place. He doesn't tell us that because Jesus knows as we talk about the Pharisees in chapter 14, he knows he's leaving the Pharisees with a question they have to answer. Who am I? Am I more like the father or do I find myself more like the older son? And make no mistake, we are left with that choice. That bridge has, has cut through 2,000 years to us sitting here today that we too, every single day, have to answer the question, how am I going to respond to the people, all children who are made in the image of God? Am I going to respond like the father? Or am I going to respond like the older son? With an unconditional welcome, with an unconditional love, and I want to tell you, to be honest, this is inconvenient. It's more than inconvenient to step into unconditional love and unconditional welcome. It is, it is messy. It is hard. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Are we called to be any different? No child is ever born into this world saying, I simply want to love others before I love myself. No child is ever born into this world saying, if you slap this cheek, I'm going to turn the other one. Have you ever seen a child playing with toys? No child is born into this world saying, what money and what possessions I have, I want to give automatically to those in need. It is something that comes with transformation, something that comes with stepping into it more and more into the muddy, dirty places that's hard for us because we have a seat at the table. But it's what we're called to do. These are principles that are being taught by the prophet, by the priest, by the king of kings to hold us to a higher standard. Not an earthly standard, but a higher standard that is a kingdom of heaven, a kingdom of God standard. And this, honestly, guys, it's the hard part. It's not a natural act for us. We have to choose to do this. It is a sacrificial act that means we get to sometimes, hopefully oftentimes, give up our comfy Sunday morning chairs in favor of a messy relationship. It's messy. But we are called to sit in the muddy pit with anyone we come across to show them that they too, they too belong. We are no better. We are all the same. We are all lost sons or lost daughters and we did absolutely nothing to be welcomed by the Father into his family, the place that we feel like we belong. <coughs> we are all broken and all healed by the one who gives that healing. So here's our challenge for this week. Here's our goal for this week, for this month, year, for the rest of our lives, is to open our eyes. To open our eyes and to look. Who are the people around us who seem to have no place, who seem to feel like they don't belong? Who are the people at our jobs, at school, in our, own, in our own families, in our own homes, in our own churches, in this room? We don't have to fix anything. Our job is not to fix. God does that. Holy Spirit does that. 
We step into their lives and show them and bring them into our story. More importantly, we bring them into his story. And we let God water. We let God grow. For most of us, just saying this brought somebody into our minds. Go to them. Engage them. Sit on the curb with them. Sit in the muddy places of life with them. And here's all you have to do to start is listen. Pray with me. Yahweh, Father, thank you that you ran to us. Thank you that you never stop running to us. Thank you that we, while in the pit, in, when, the, when the water is rising above our heads, you didn't just reach down and pull us out. You came and jumped into the pit with us. You jumped into the water with us and said, you are not alone. Let me help you. God, remind us that we are called to be your ambassadors, that we are called to be ambassadors. We are not of this world, but we step into the muddy places because that is what you did for us. And God, remind us that we do not, we do not have to fix. We don't have to change. We don't have to worry about what comes next. You will take care of that. And it is scary and it is hard sometimes. But God, remind us to simply step in to their story and bring them into ours. And to listen. To remind them that they're not alone. That there is a place to belong no matter what baggage they may carry, that they can lay those burdens down. We thank you for your son who gives us that life in the first place. It is through Jesus Christ's name that I pray and all of church, all of us that belong say, amen.